Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. You to um, open your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're doing things a little bit different this morning because we have our children coming back in in a few moments to bless us with their Christmas program. So John chapter 19, normally we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to be taking a break over the next few weeks as we gear up for Christmas. You may never have heard of the Ruyanggong Hotel in North Korea. I'm sure none of you have probably stayed there. It's a monstrous, pyramid-shaped, 105-story, 10,080-foot-tall skyscraper. The construction began in 1987, but it was stopped in 1992 after the fall of the Soviet Union. In 2008, construction resumed And it was supposed to open in 2012. Today, it remains the tallest unfinished building in the world. It's not finished. The tallest unfinished building in the world. Now, if you go to China, there's what's called the New South China Mall. It was built in 2005, and it was famous for being the world's largest shopping mall. It was expected to get 100,000 visitors a day, and that never happened. Can somebody do me a favor and close that door back there? Because it's going to get really loud here in a minute. (laughs) That's where the children are. It didn't happen. Sadly, today, that mall in China has about 20% occupancy. It's called China's Ghost Mall. Maybe some of you have been to Barcelona, Spain. There's a cathedral there called the Sagrada Familia Church. It was begun in 1882 by a man named Antony Gaudi. He spent his entire life working on it until he died in 1926. The cathedral was only at that time 25% completed. And it was supposed to be worked on and then COVID stopped it, but it is projected to be completed. Did anybody know the year it's supposed to be completed? 2026. It started in 1882, and it's still not finished. Now, it's amazing to think of these amazing structures, whether it's a shopping mall or a skyscraper or some cathedral that got started and never got finished. Or it got built, and it's not being used. Millions of dollars wasted. Now, we as humans sometimes have the greatest intentions to finish projects, don't we? Maybe you haven't written your Christmas cards yet and you just really want to get to it. Some of you wait till the last minute to go shopping on Christmas Eve at 8 o'clock and wondering why the stores aren't open. We have all these intentions to finish projects. How many of you probably, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have unfinished projects that you just wish you could get to and get finished? Are you raising your hand there? I said, don't raise your hand, but that's okay. There's something unsettling, there's something frustrating about an unfinished project. Whether it's an unfinished building, whether it's an unfinished task, 
something left unfinished. There's kind of an angst. There's a frustration with that. And I think sometimes at Christmas, there's so many things going on that we need to just kind of get back to the basics and ask the question, what's Christmas really all about? Well, you know, the Old Testament prophesied about the birth of our Lord Jesus. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a prophecy about the virgin birth. It's a prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born about how he would come and be God with us, God in the flesh, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. And there's the announcement of the angels announcing Christ's birth to the shepherds. And as Dave read earlier, what was the announcement of Jesus' birth? Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's ask the question, why was Jesus born? Why did Jesus come? Well, we're going to look at the answer here in John chapter 19. We come to a part that you're probably familiar with, and it's something that maybe you don't think about at Christmas time. We think about the birth of Christ at Christmas, but this morning, I want us to think about the death of Christ at Christmas. Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die. So if you have a Bible with you, let's pick up in John chapter 19, starting in verse 16. This is right after Pilate had sentenced Jesus to death. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Then Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. To see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that was all now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
Here's the main point of this passage of Scripture. Christmas is ultimately about the cross of Christ. Christmas is ultimately about the cross of Christ. Now we know Christmas is about the birth of Christ, but Jesus was born so that eventually He would go to the cross. And one thing that we can't gloss over in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus is the King, the King of the Jews, the King of kings, the sovereign King. And so for for this morning, just briefly before the children come, I want us just to explore three aspects of the crucifixion of the King, King Jesus. The first thing we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus experienced the humiliation of the cross. The humiliation of the cross. I don't think we quite understand the humiliation of what Jesus experienced. It says there in verse 16, they delivered him over to be crucified. They delivered him over. Now, John's gospel does not include this detail, but the other gospels do. This is where Jesus received his second flogging. So intense, where they would strip Jesus almost naked, and they would tie him to a post, and then they whipped him with what was called a cat of nine tails. It was a long piece of leather with bone and shards of glass. And they would scourge Jesus's body and after that scourging after that flogging verse 17 says he went out bearing his own cross carrying his own cross he went out the king of the jews was forced out of jerusalem his city to go to a place called the skull golgotha to experience death and shame and humiliation. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus hung on that cross, cursed, because he was experiencing the justice that we should have experienced from God. And Pilate, not knowing any better, wrote an inscription in three languages, and put it up over the cross, King of the Jews. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees got upset. They said, Pilate, you can't do that. He's not the King of the Jews. You need to write, he said he's the King of the Jews. And and, and Pilate says, I've written what I've written. In other words, Pilate didn't know any better, but he wrote down the actual description of who Jesus is. He is the King. Not only the King of the Jews, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet this sovereign king, the one who should have ruled in Jerusalem, goes in humiliation outside of Jerusalem to the hill of the skull, Golgotha, after being scourged and beaten. The second thing we see here is that King Jesus fulfilled prophecy in the cross. In verses 23 through 27, you see that the soldiers there are dividing his garments. They're, they're gambling, they're casting lots. This is a direct prophecy from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is probably the most graphic, next to Isaiah 53, psalm that describes the crucifixion of Christ. Psalm 22, 16 through 18. Now this is David speaking, but it's a prophecy about Jesus hanging on the cross. For dogs encompass me, 
A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. These Roman soldiers are gloating over Jesus. They're casting lots. They're fulfilling prophecy from Psalm 22. But third, and most importantly, King Jesus announced victory through the cross. The key word in this section is finished. Look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, everything was finished, he said to fulfill scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Sour wine was more like cheap vinegar. It was used by the Roman soldiers to quench their thirst. And so they put this sour wine on a, on a hyssop plant and, and give it to Jesus. Now you may ask the question, what is crucifixion? What physically actually happens in a crucifixion. Well, this is in the dead of heat. Jesus is there, stripped almost naked, struggling to breathe on the cross. Now, the way that you actually die from crucifixion is not from the nails in your hands and the nails in your feet. It's usually from suffocation or asphyxiation because you have to try to keep your body up to even breathe. And so with all of that weight coming upon him to try to hold himself up, to push himself up with his arms and with his legs, every muscle would be spasming. And so Jesus probably died either of heart failure or of brain damage because the oxygen couldn't get to his brain. So a cruel, Death, crucifixion, the king of glory. But yet, verse 30 is probably the most powerful statement in the entire Bible. Right before Jesus dies, what does he say? What does our king say hanging on that cross in humiliation, in pain, and in shame? Notice it's a cry of victory. He said, it is finished. One word in the original language. Paid in full. It is finished. Completely accomplished. Now, I don't want to bore you with the original language here, but it's in a tense in the original language, which is very important. You could translate it this way. Jesus is saying, it is finished now, And it will always be finished, and it will stand finished into the future, into eternity. In other words, it's the once and for all crucifixion of Jesus Christ, never to be repeated. It is finished, and it stands completed to this day as the finished work of Christ. Jesus did everything necessary to accomplish our salvation. It is finished. No more work to be done. A direct result of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 For I delivered to you as of first importance 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. I'll be honest with you. We can't fully comprehend in our minds and in our hearts the depth of what Jesus experienced on the cross. We really can't. No matter how hard we try, we, we can think about it, we can ponder it, but, but we're, we're always left short in what Jesus really did there. But let me just suggest a couple of things. What did Jesus really accomplish for us? Well, first, the most horrendous experience of suffering ever known. May I remind you of something? Two thieves behind him were crucified. They experienced the physical pain of crucifixion. Jesus experienced the physical pain of crucifixion, but the spiritual pain, the spiritual agony of taking upon our sins is what set Jesus apart from any other crucifixion. It's a prophecy of Isaiah 53. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The most extreme suffering ever in the history of the world, both physical and spiritual, because Jesus was paying the price. It is finished. He's paying in full all of our sins. Second, the completion of our full salvation. The completion of our full salvation. There's no more work to be done. Jesus has completed it. He's paid for it. We don't have to do anything to make up for what he did on the cross. It's complete. Romans 8, 31 through 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus gives us all things because of his death once and for all on the cross. Jesus was born in a wooden manger as the prophesied king. Jesus died on the cross as the victorious king. Jesus was born to die. Now you may say, Pastor Sean, those are some great historical facts. I appreciate your statement upon the crucifixion. I have it pictured in my mind. I can think about what historically happened to Jesus when he died on that cross. And yet, let's take it a step further. It's one thing to, to think about the historical fact, but let's make this personal this morning. How do you respond? How do you personally respond to the king who died on the cross? For you cannot come face to face with the cross and be neutral, be ambivalent. You've got to respond. So how will you respond? Well, let me suggest a few responses to King Jesus. And here's the first and most important. Surrender your life in faith to King Jesus. Surrender your life to the King. 
One of the first things Jesus said. Now, what's the, one of the last things Jesus said is, it is finished. One of the first things he said, Mark records it for us. The first, one of the first things that came out of Jesus' mouth in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, John, after he was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, what did Jesus say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The first words out of Jesus' mouth is, I'm the king, and I'm coming on the scene. The kingdom of God's now. You must repent and believe the gospel. Which brings up two questions. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent, and what does it mean to believe? Well, repent means to be so convicted over your sin, so brokenhearted over your personal sin against the king, that you confess that sin that you own up to that sin, that you admit that there's no way you can save yourself, that you you come clean, and that you have a heart that's soft towards God. It's an inward change of heart where God has so convicted you that he changes your heart. That's what it means to repent. What does it mean to believe? It means to trust, to entrust yourself totally to Jesus. John 1, 12-13. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To receive Him, to believe in Him, to place your faith in Him, to surrender your life to Him. He's the King. We surrender our lives to the King. We trust in Him alone, Jesus, to save us. Acts 16, 30-31, this is when um, Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi, and the Lord rescued them. He brought them out, and then the jailer says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. What must I do? Notice Paul doesn't say, Go to church, obey the Ten Commandments, try as hard as you can, be spiritual. No, Paul just simply says, What must I do to be saved? Believe, receive, trust Jesus, surrender your life to the King. Paul says in Romans 10, 9-10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The most important thing any of you can do this morning, if you haven't done it yet, is to surrender your life to the King, to repent and believe in Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior. He paid it all. It is finished. How do you respond to that? You surrender your life to the King. Let me give you another response this morning. Worship Him with joyful awe. Let's worship Jesus. When you think about the cross, And what Christ accomplished for us there, it leads us to worship with awe. Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Would this be a Christmas where you stand in awe of Jesus? Where you bow before the King with joy. 
O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come, ye, O come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us, what? Adore him, Christ the Lord. Come, let us adore him. Let us worship him. Let us stand in awe of him. So number one, if you've never done this before, submit yourself to the king. Surrender yourself to the king. Repent and believe in Jesus. And number two, let's worship him in awe this Christmas. Then third, let's rest in him with confident assurance. Now, don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you need rest this Christmas? Christmas is a time of stress and anxiety and angst and worry. And because Jesus paid it all on the cross for us, we can rest in him. We can be confident that he'll take care of us. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need rest this Christmas? Do you need hope this Christmas? Do you need joy this Christmas? Then rest in the King. King Jesus paid it all. I'm so thankful that the very last words Jesus said on the cross are, it is finished. Paid in full for you and for me. So would this Christmas be a time to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus, to bow before Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords who cried out victoriously, it is finished. He was born to die. It is finished. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and thank Him for finishing the work on our behalf. That we can come into a place like this and worship freely. Lord, I think of many people around our world that don't have the freedom that we have to gather today. Maybe churches are meeting underground this Christmas because they can't meet publicly. Lord, we also think about those that were ravaged by the tornadoes the past couple of days. Homes that were destroyed, churches that were destroyed, businesses that were destroyed. Lord, our hearts go out to them and we pray for those families and those individuals that lost everything. Lord, you've blessed us beyond measure. You've given us material blessing. You've given us financial blessing. You've blessed us with family. You've blessed us with friends. But most of all, Jesus, you've blessed us with salvation through your cross. May this Christmas be a time where we submit joyfully to the King of kings. We would worship with awe and joy the King of kings. And we would rest confidently in the King of kings. Thank you, Jesus, that you cried out, It is finished! And you did everything absolutely necessary to pay for our salvation in full. All we need to do is receive it as a free gift. To trust you to thank you, to rest in you, because you did all the work. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.